Well, if you'll take your Bibles and turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we, we used last week as an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And we talked primarily about how to approach the Sermon on the Mount. We did that because when you have non-Christians talking about, and, and when I say non-Christians, I'll even you know, go as far as to say as we looked at last, well, two weeks ago, I should say, that, that there were atheists who loved the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you have to scratch your head and think, what's going on here? And we, we discovered a couple of weeks ago that there's, there's a number of different ways of approaching the Sermon on the Mount, and we, we want to we be on the side of approaching it in the correct way. And so uh, that's what we spent the first night doing. Now tonight, we're going to wade into the, the Beatitudes. We're only going to look at one of them tonight because it's going to take us just a few minutes to better, uh, better appreciate the Beatitudes. And what I mean by that is we go through these Beatitudes, and those are the verses 2 through 10. Uh, as we go through each one, we're going to see how important the Beatitudes are to the Sermon on the Mount as a whole and just why they're placed where they're at, why, why they show up. Because at times you, you read the Sermon on the Mount, you read through, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. And then all of a sudden, in verse 13, Jesus launches into what seems to be something disconnected. Uh, and, and so it, it, we might ask, what, 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 how is this connected? How, how are the Beatitudes uh, connected with the rest of what we read in chapters 5, 6, and 7? And so uh, I think as we go through these uh, beginning tonight and through the next few weeks, we'll better understand and appreciate the Beatitudes and understand what they mean and why they're placed where they're at. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to deal with a problem that we cannot avoid, and we hinted it about it a couple of weeks ago, but we really have to face it here because it appears, and I say appears because that's, it's only that, it appears that the Beatitudes teach a doctrine of salvation by human merit and good works. For example, you could read the Beatitudes, blessed or blessed, ever how you want to pronounce it, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It, it could sound this way, and, and to some it does. And uh, I say that because I've been looking at this for a few months, getting prepared, and some see it this way. Um, okay, I'll be merciful, and then God will give me mercy. Uh, I'll be pure in heart. I'll, I'll do this, and then God will give me this. You see, It's, it's kind of an exchange. You see, I'll, I'll be good. I'll do good things, and then God in turn will, will give them to me. And again, that, that seems, it appears that it, that, 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 that would be teaching uh, salvation by human merit, by good works. Here, I did this, so God, you, you give me this. Now, we know, or we should know, we know, but we, we should know, that for the Beatitudes to teach such a thing would be incompatible with the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if, if the Beatitudes, on one hand, says, you know, you, you do this and you'll get this, and then we read later in Scripture uh, where Jesus said, you know, you, you know, you must be born again or you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. You know, 
uh, th- those would seem to be in contradiction, and they would be. And so, uh, it, 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 on one hand, you know, on one hand, we shouldn't be surprised, though, that that some look at the Beatitudes like, "I'll do this, and then I'll earn this. I'll do this, God will give me this. I'll do this, and God will bless me." We shouldn't be surprised at that because when you remember that all all other religions outside of Christianity uh, teach a, 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 a merit-based salvation. I do this, and then I will get this. So we shouldn't be surprised that even with the Beatitudes, some have looked at them and said, well, if I'll do this, I can earn this. Uh, because this is the human uh, this is the default position of the human heart. This, this, it's always got to be dealt with. Always has to be dealt with. That's, that's why that in a church, the, the gospel, the gospel must be reinforced again and again and again, even for those who know it. You know, that's why Peter said, I'm going to remind you of these things. I'm going to put you in remembrance of these things, even though you already know them and are well established in them. Why? Because we forget, and because the the default of the human heart is to go back to fall back to, well, if I do this, God will do this for me. You see, and we lose sight of grace. So, how are we to deal with this? This what what uh, what, what appears to be a problem? How do we deal with it? And so, let, we're going to take a few minutes to do that before we actually look at the very first beatitude. Uh, Here's, and I, I think you have some of, most of this in your notes. Seeing the Beatitudes, the, the best way is to see the Beatitudes as a series of what are called macarisms. Macarisms. Now, uh, I, don't, I don't mean the Macarena. I, I'm not talking about the Macarena. Uh, macarisms. Now, you, you don't often hear that word, and that's, that's reasonable because you know, that it's, it's, a, it's a Greek word. The word blessed, you see there in verse 2, or verse, uh, verse 3, I should say, blessed be, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word blessed, okay? Uh, the, the Greek word that that comes from is makarios. And so when we say that the Beatitudes uh, are a series of makarisms, uh, it's a series of, uh, of, of one makarios after the other. Blessed, 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 blessed are. Now, what is what is a, a makarios or a, makari, a, a macarism? And you need you need to know this because this will help you and I to understand the beatitudes much better. A macarism is a pronouncement based on observation that a certain way of being in the world produces human flourishing. Now that is key to understanding the beatitudes. In other words, when, when Jesus said, says blessed or blessed, he is making a pronouncement based on observation that a certain way of being or a certain way of living in the world produces human flourishing as opposed to other ways of living and being. Um, you'll, you probably, maybe, I don't know what translation you use, but maybe you use a translation that says blessed. There are other tra- translations that say happy, okay? And, and that, is not, that is not a bad, but it's not the best by any stretch. Uh, there are various translations that 
tried to deal with this Greek word makarios. And herein lies the problem. Okay? Now listen very carefully. There is no single word in the English language that communicates the nuances of the Greek word makarios. Let me say it again. You, you, this is really important. Because you see, we like to think that it's easy Translation, Bible translation is easy. It just, there's, here's a word, and we'll translate it over here, and that, there it is. Here's a Greek word, and it translates into the English like that. We, we'd like to think that it's that easy. It is not that easy. Uh, there, is no, there is no English word, one English word, that captures all the nuances of the Greek word makarios. That is why that when you... Look at different Bible versions. Uh, it, one may say blessed. One may say uh, happy. Uh, one may say flourishing, which is probably the best, okay, which we'll get to in a moment. But the, 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 it, it's, it's crucial that we understand the interpretation challenge. And, and, and that's, that's created some of the problem of looking at these and going blessed. Okay, that sounds like... If I do this, if I do this, then, then, I, then God will reward me with a blessing. If I'll, if I'll be pure in heart, if I'll do this, if I'll do that, he will reward me with a blessing. So here, here, here's what's at stake. Let me break it down, and we're, we're going to fine-tune it here real quick. Here's what's at stake. The word blessed that we're looking at here. First, when you think of the word blessed, the first thing that probably comes to mind indicates active divine favor. It is God actively initiating or providing favor. Most of the time when, you, when we think of the word blessed or blessed, it means that God's going to initiate his divine favor upon a person. Now that's, 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 a, that's one way of understanding the word blessed in English. All right? On the other hand, another English word that perhaps gets closer to the Greek word makarios is flourishing, okay? Flourishing. And flourishing is this. It's the result of a certain way of living or being in the world, okay? We're going to fine-tune this a little bit more, but the first thing we need to see is there's, there's the word blessed, which we have in front of us. Other translations use flourishing, which I'm, I'm convinced... I'm convinced after weeks and weeks of spending with this, I'm convinced for me, flourishing hits it closer. Though it's, though it's not perfect because, again, very difficult to translate this word that is so pregnant with meaning into one English word. Just tough. But that's why we study, okay? And so let, let's try to understand the difference. I think uh, have your Bible ready, and here's what we're going to do. In the Old Testament, uh, go ahead and turn over to Psalm 1. Okay, Psalm chapter 1. In the Old Testament, there is a Hebrew word, and I wish I could pronounce it accurately. So since I can't, I will spell it. It's A-S-R-E, a Hebrew word that shows up many times in the Old Testament. It is spelled A-S-R-E. It's in your notes there. It's translated from the Hebrew into English, blessed. Okay. And what it does, it communicates human flourishing as a result of living a certain way. 
Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, the, what is the very first word? Blessed. It's the Hebrew word A-S-R-E. And so when we read, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What, what the original word that's translated in the English, blessed, is this. It's an observation. Psalm verse 1 and verse 2 is an observation of someone who is, is living wisely, okay? and as a result, they are flourishing. As a result, they're blessed. Okay? They, they, they're living a certain way in the world, and as a result of that, they are blessed. It is not the same thing as, okay, I live this way and God blessed me. Not the same thing as we'll see in a moment. It is, this is the path that this person has taken. And taking this path, living wisely, taking this path, results in human flourishing or blessedness. Look at Psalm 2, very next psalm. The same word shows up again. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you, you, you take refuge in him and then he'll bless you. No, it's you, you take this path. You live wisely. You, you follow him and the result is, is human flourishing or blessedness. Now, there's numerous places that this Hebrew word A-S-R-E shows up, translated blessedness. It also shows up a lot in the book of Proverbs. So flip over to the book of Proverbs and go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Verse 34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Uh, flip over to chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Let's look at one more, chapter 29. Chapter 29, verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. There are multiple dozens of places this Hebrew word, A-S-R, shows up in the Old Testament, translated blessed. And it, what it is speaking of is human flourishing that comes as a result of living wisely, living a certain way, being a certain way in the world. Now, with that in mind, when we get to the New Testament, the Greek equivalent, the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word A-S-R-E is makarios. Okay? What, what does that mean? It means when, when, when you have, see, when you have two different words, you've got, you've got, um, you, you've got A-S-R-E, that's blessed, in the, in the English. Uh, but then you've got other Hebrew words that are translated blessed. Then you've got to figure out what, which, 
which applies here? What's going on here? So here's the question. When we get over to, to, to Matthew chapter 5, how should we understand the word blessed in the Beatitudes? See, here, here's what we're trying to answer. We're trying to answer the problem. Do the Beatitudes, it seems like it teaches that if I'll do this, God will do this for me, and that we somehow earn, earn God's blessing through doing this certain thing. So how do, we, how do we understand blessed here in the Beatitudes? And I know you have this in your notes, but you're going to see it on the overhead too because this is where it gets, for me, really important. Um, let's, let's back up, uh, Dale, to the, the pre... Yeah, there we go. Here is the other Hebrew word, BRK. It is translated in the English, bless or blessed. Okay? When that word shows up in the Old Testament, it speaks of being favored as the recipient of blessing from the Lord and therefore causing human flourishing. Okay? Now, you've got to pay close attention here. There's BRK that's translated in the English, blessed. You, read, you take your English Bible and you read blessed or blessed and you go, Okay, there's, there's that word, blessed. But what does it mean when it's translated from the Hebrew word BRK? It speaks of being favored as the recipient of a blessing from the Lord and therefore causing human flourishing, which is certainly good and to be desired, but it's different. Let's see the next slide. It's different than the word ASRE, which is a Hebrew word translated in the English, bless or blessed, or in the New Testament, makarios. Here it is a pronouncement based on observation that a certain way of being or living in the world produces human flourishing. Do you see the difference? One, one blessing is a direct result of God blessing, okay? A direct initiative from God. The other is it's a pronouncement of, hey, by observation, this is the best way to live. This is the wisest way. This is the way you'll flourish if you live this way. Okay? So it's an important distinction between those because as we look at the Beatitudes, they certainly, I, I, think, I think you would see that Jesus is declaring in the Beatitudes what is the true way of living and being that will result in human flourishing. That's what Jesus is getting at in the Beatitudes begins like this, this this is the way to live you want it's, it's like everybody asking the world one of the big questions in the world today would be how can i really be happy how, how can i really find happiness in this world jesus is answering that question in the beatitudes that's what that's what he's dealing with that's what he's saying. you you want to flourish you you, you want to live a joyful flourishing happy life i mean most people want that then this is the path. This is the way to achieve that. And so the Beatitudes are for all people who have lost sight of where true human flourishing is to be found. And here, here is something fascinating to me, and I, I think you might agree. Jesus is giving us a list in the Beatitudes of what is vital for life and character. And, and so here's a question for you and just ponder this or answer this if you if you were to make up on your, your own list of human flourishing if you if you were to make up your own list and say this this is the way that leads to human flourishing and this is this is the path that is vital for life and character how would your list compare to Jesus list in verses 3 through 10 
I mean, would you, would you actually say, would you say, man, the way to human flourishing is to be poor in spirit? <laughs> I mean, would you pick that? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, don't, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> we, we really, left to ourselves, we wouldn't pick it, right? Would we pick, blessed are those who are persecuted? <laughs> would we pick that? No, we would not pick these things. Blessed are those who mourn. Would we pick that? And that's, that's on my list for human flourishing. That's the way you really flourish is to mourn. No, we, we would probably, this would probably not, any of these would probably, none of them probably would be on the list. So, if the Beatitudes are the true way of living and being that will result in human flourishing, then they are not a requirement list for entrance into the kingdom of God. That is the danger for some reading the Beatitudes. You, you, you turn them loose say, go read your Bible. Go read your Bible and go read Matthew. And they sit down and start reading Matthew and they start reading and going, huh, it seems like to me that if I do these things, I'm in. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're, they're, they're not a list of requirements for getting in the kingdom of God. Maybe this will help. This is a, this is a statement by John Stott in his commentary on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The whole sermon, which he's speaking of the Sermon on the Mount, presupposes an acceptance of the gospel, an experience of conversion and new birth, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It describes the kind of people reborn, uh, reborn Christians should be. So the Beatitudes set forth the blessing which God bestows, not as a reward for merit, but as a gift of grace upon those in whom he is working such a character. So the Beatitudes are not a requirement list, no. The, the whole sermon presupposes that a person has already believed the gospel. They have already received the gospel. And so now, now that they have, <laughs> this is how they are to live. Uh, and amazingly, maybe you, you probably already discovered this, but it's amazing. It's the first beatitude that actually rescues us and solves the problem. The problem being that, that looking at the sermon and looking at the beatitudes especially and seeing them as a, a list of requirements, the very first beatitude solves the problem. And so let's take the rest of our time and look at verse 3. The very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, now, what, what does Jesus mean when he says poor? He says poor in spirit. But even, even here, some well-meaning people have obviously gone off the rails. Do you know that there have been some Christians throughout history have given away all their possessions on the basis of this beatitude. They read it, blessed are the poor in spirit, let's get rid of everything we got. That's not what Jesus is saying. He doesn't say blessed are the material poor, you know, or the economic poor. He doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is talking about spiritual poverty. Uh, not material poverty, not economic poverty, but spiritual poverty. So what... What does he mean by blessed are the poor in spirit? Well, speaking about our condition before God, our spiritual poverty, our bankruptcy before God. Now, you, you may hear that and you go, well, good grief, yes. That's, of course that's right. 
But as we'll see in just a moment, it's apparently not always clear that it's that easy, you know, that easy to come to grips with, I am poor in spirit. <laughs> it means we have nothing to offer. We, 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 when we come to the table, you know, we've heard, you know, I'm coming, I, I bring, I'm bringing nothing to the table. Exactly. We, we're, you know, said before, all you, you know, all you need is need. That's what we bring to the table. We bring need to the table. The world, the world uh, may be impressed by our accomplishments and our resume, maybe, maybe our education, uh, our, our, our achievements on the job. Um, we may have awards. We may have trophies. And the world, the world will, in many cases, be very impressed if we can bring a very strong resume to the table. However, before God, we are poor. We are poor in spirit. Bad idea, bad idea to bring to God your resume. Here's why, here's why you need me on your team. <laughs> no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, maybe, maybe this will help. It's the complete awareness. Poor in spirit is the complete awareness that God's free generosity to you at infinite cost to himself, is the only thing that can save you. Okay? Complete awareness that God's free, gracious generosity to you at infinite cost to himself is the only thing that can save you. When, when we've arrived there, we've arrived there, we've, we've arrived at poor in spirit. Let's look at, at a few. You'll, you'll see on the overhead, I think, Psalm 34 and 6. David said, the poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now, again, you've got to fight the urge to say economically poor, socially poor. You've got to fight the urge to do that. The poor man here, David is saying, the poor man here is weak and helpless and unable to save himself. So what does he do? He looks to God while realizing that he really has no claim upon God. He, he, he's, just, he's crying out for mercy. You know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, you know, by the way, don't forget that I have been a so-and-so for a while, and don't forget that I give to the church. Don't forgive, you know, hey, help me on the basis of what I've done. No, uh, the poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. See, the poor, the poor are the bankrupt of this world who know themselves to be so and therefore trust in the Lord as their only hope of protection and deliverance. Uh, do you, you remember Isaiah chapter 6? In all, in all of Isaiah, there's a lot of important verses, but Isaiah chapter 6, what do we remember about that? Isaiah has a vision. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. The, the closer... The closer awareness that Isaiah gets of God, the closer he gets to God, and the closer God comes to him. You remember, there's the there's the cherubim who you know takes the coal off the altar and touches you know Isaiah's lips because he's beginning to realize he's beginning to come apart. 
You see, there's no, there's no, Isaiah's not standing there saying, well, look, let us, let us talk here and let me show you my resume. There's none of that. I mean, he, he is, he is coming unglued. Literally the language speaks of he, he's coming apart. The closer he gets to the holiness of God, the awareness of God, and the more he begins to see himself. See, the closer he gets to the holiness of God, the more he begins to see himself and he experiences what? Spiritual bankruptcy, poor in spirit. It's interesting, you know, we, we think about, you might think about people, you, know, you think about people who are close to God. You say, well, ah, oh, I know that person's uh, close to God. You know, well, how do you know? How do you know? Uh, poor in spirit, poor in spirit. Isaiah, I mean, you can get a whole lot closer to God than Isaiah was doing at that time. And it whipped him clean of any self-righteous resume. He was spiritually broke poverty let me ask you this can a person can a person become a christian without being poor in spirit thank you for shaking your head no for those of you who did (laughs) thank you for the brave souls who shook your head no you can't become a christian unless you're poor in spirit i mean really you know if if you've been if you've been pondering this at all if you've been listening at all you have to you have to say no you can't you can't become a christian unless you're poor in spirit Unless you, you know, unless a person has calculated another way of of coming before God, and there's no other. That, isn't that interesting? Jesus begins. He begins this whole discourse with, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." And you're going to see as we go through these, you're going to see the logical. Jesus uses logical reasoning, working through these beatitudes. Each one of them. As you, follow, as you look at the first one, and then you look at the second one and the third one, they, begin, they just begin to explode of making sense, of like, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, and so if, if, you, if, if, if someone would say, well, I don't know how a person, you know, I don't know that a person has to be poor in spirit to become a Christian, then I just ask you, how could one be a Christian then? <laughs> how, how else could they be unless... They are poor in spirit. Um, question. I, I, want, I want some of you to answer this, if you would. What do you think is the greatest enemy of the poverty of spirit? What is the greatest enemy to poverty of spirit? Pride? Pride, exactly. Pride, we could, we could say it a number of different ways. We could say pride, uh, proud, uh, or pride or self-sufficiency, which is the same thing, right? Um, the self-sufficient proud person is the one who reasons this away. And I want us to think about this for a minute because it's really helpful, I think. The proud, self-sufficient person is the one who reasons, well, look, I'm not that bad. I know I'm bad. I, I know I've got a, a number of problems. My, my spouse told me so. You know, my boss at work told me so. I know I've got some problems, but I'm not that bad. In fact, I have done some good things in my life, and you probably have. I mean, every, every funeral I officiate, and, and I, I mean, there's no evidence the person is a believer, I thank God at the end. I thank, I thank God for the good that they've done. They've done some good. It, it, it hasn't merited them any favor with God, but they have done some good. So, so we say, I, you know, I, I, I've done some bad things, but I'm not that bad, and I've certainly done some good things, and so therefore, since I've done some good things in my life, I've got some spiritual money in the bank, Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what people often think. I mean, I know we'd, we'd say no to that. But think about it for a minute. That's what people are saying when they say to you, 
I'm not that bad. Now, I've done some bad things. I know I'm not perfect, but I have done some good things. What they are saying to you at that moment is, I have some spiritual money in the bank. I'm not, I'm not poor in spirit. I've got, I've, got a little, I've got a little stashed away here. See, Christians, on the other hand, are those who realize they have no spiritual money in the bank. That, that's, that's the way to get to poor in spirit right there, I think, is you realize, I don't have any spiritual money in the bank. I am poor in spirit. And you see, you are going to run into people tomorrow who think they have spiritual money in the bank. They are counting on that. And here's what has not happened for them. They have not taken the divine indictment of Romans chapter 3 seriously. And you'll see it on the overhead. I think we have that on there. Do we have that? Yeah. No, no, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. See, when when a, when a person you know takes that seriously, you know, that's that's me, that's me. You know, then then the inevitable the inevitable result is I'm poor in spirit. I don't have any spiritual money in the bank. No, no matter no matter what I may think of myself, I no matter what other people say about me. You know, you, most of you know my good friend Jimmy Stinson. I've I've known Jimmy. Jimmy and I have known each other since. 1975, and you know he knew Bad Van, and I knew Bad Jimmy. Um, and h- him and his wife have told me all along. They, they, you know, they, they, they told me through the years, Van, we knew you. You weren't that bad. I'm like, yes, I was. <laughs> I was. But see, they they looked at me as like a friend. You know, I I wasn't. You know, I wasn't Charles Manson. In other words, I you know I wasn't. You know, I wasn't off the chain. You know, but I was a sinner. You see. But they would even say to me, you know, they would even say to me, oh, you weren't that bad, you know. But I was, you see. And, and that's what Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 said. We, we, we really are that bad. And so when we come to grips with we are that bad, that's our condition that, that results in uh, being poor in spirit. Uh, I, wish I, had, I wish I had this paper in front of me, but uh, I, I ran across a few years ago, put this in a file, one of the other dangers of being of enemies of poor in spirit is what one writer said, being middle class in spirit. And he's talking about church people, you know, church people who who try to wheel and deal with God. You know, like God, if you you know if, you know if, you know if you'll come through for me, I'll do this for you. You know, and if you if you will. Um, you know, you know, it's usually you go to the doctor and get a bad test result, or they got a test result looming. You know, and it's then it's you know, let's make a deal with God. You know, and uh, we we try to pull up. You know, and and here's here's what I've been doing for you lately, and here's what I will do for you lately, and you know, we're trying to make a trade off with God. You know, it's, and so we, we, even then, you know, we're, we're again we're trying to amass, we're trying to amass our you know resources. You know, not 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 accepting the fact, hey. I'm poor in spirit. I, I'm I'm dependent upon the mercy of God totally. Let, look at look at the last part of, of, of verse three, and then we'll we'll try to tie this all up. And next week when we come back, 
we'll, 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 we'll actually probably go through two or three of these at one, one time. But look at verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, you've probably noticed this before, but if you haven't, let's point it out. Look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of earth. Uh, verse 6, uh, blessed are those who thirst, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall. So verse 3 is saying to us, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The, the, the rest of them seem to speak you know, of, of a future aspect, though, though realistically it's both, it can be present and, and future. But, but here it is certainly present for theirs uh, is the kingdom of God. Now, what in the world is, does, does that mean? And uh, let, let's think about it this way. The poor in spirit, those who those who've come to grips, have no spiritual resources, I have nothing, nothing in them, but no spiritual money stored up, I'm poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit get a taste of heaven now because God comes to live with them. How do we know that? In Isaiah chapter 57, look at these words. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. You could just say poor in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Could, could that be why Jesus is saying, Theirs is now. Theirs is now the kingdom of heaven because they are getting a taste of the kingdom of heaven because the Spirit of God has come to abide and dwell with them because they are poor in spirit, you see. Something to think about. Any, uh, any observations, any, any comments that you would like to throw out there, Dayla? Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else? We we are actually going to make more ground. I don't know why I feel like I have to tell you that. You know, it's like a, it's like a, I think, oh gosh, I know they want me to go faster. <laughs> what are we in a hurry for? <laughs> you know, what are we in a hurry for? So, but we won't. We won't. I mean, we're not going to just drag this out. For me. I'm not going to try to look. I'm no. I just want to say this before. I'm no Hebrew Greek expert. I'm I'm so far from it. What I learn, I learn from reading, standing on the shoulders of other people. But I just I think it's vitally important that we understand the, the Beatitudes are not some kind of requirement list. They're Jesus saying, hey, you want to flourish in life? You've got to start with being poor in spirit. You've got to be just empty, poor in spirit. And then you inherit the kingdom of God. Yours is the kingdom of God. See? So uh, I think it's important we understand those as we, as we uh, pick up next week and we'll probably probably try to Bring in two or three of them at least. If you'll stand, we'll, uh, we'll go. Our Father, it is so, so good to be with your people and to together just ponder the beauty of all of this. Every one of us in this room want real human flourishing. We, we want what the world says, you know, the, what will be a happy life. And uh, without you to tell us, we'd never come up with the right list. We just wouldn't. But you have given it to us here in this sermon. And so, Lord, may we go tonight, we go tonight just realizing I'm poor in spirit. Didn't bring anything to the table. 
And, and, and because of that, the God who inhabits eternity has come to dwell in me by his spirit. And uh, I'm getting a taste. I'm getting a taste now of what I'll experience for all eternity because of Jesus. So we go, we go in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to, uh, 